Hey, my name is Adam Whitescarver, and I'm the executive director at the Chattanooga House of Prayer, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for listening today, and I hope it encourages you and gives you perspective to see the beauty and the diversity of God's church, both in Chattanooga and the church at large. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to A Beautiful Church Podcast. I am here today with a special guest once again. It is Pastor Ternay Jordan from Mount Canaan Baptist. Welcome, Ternay. Good afternoon, Adam. How are you today? I'm excellent, Ternay, and it is an honor and, and just a joy to have you in the studio today. Well, it's a pleasure for me to be here. I mean, this is just like having a conversation with one of your best friends. So oh, I'm glad to be well, here. Well, thank you. I am grateful that uh, grateful for our friendship and grateful for how the Lord used uh, even this past year to deepen our friendship uh, with all the stuff with the pandemic where I, it seemed like I didn't see many of my friends. I felt like I saw you like 14 times as much. So it's a pleasure to have you here. It's good to be here. Uh, well, Ternay, um, I know your story, and so these questions, you know, that I've I've been asking every pastor that's coming in, um, I, I you know, I, I kind of know what I'm getting into. But for the audience that doesn't know you, can you just sort of uh, start with maybe I guess uh, you can't really divide these two of what church do you pastor and what's the history of the church? Uh, so just would you start with like, okay, where's your church and how did you get there? You know, I you dive into it. Yeah, yeah well. Um I pastored the Mount Canaan Baptist Church. Um, it was um, created in 1941 uh, over by where the uh, football stadium is by 27 and where 20, Interstate 24 merges. Uh, we were there in a little rundown building in 1941. Um, my father became its fourth pastor. Oh, he was the fourth pastor. My father was the fourth pastor, but he took a church with a potbelly stove over in a very challenging community called the Bucket of Blood. Uh, and uh, he uh, had 15 members, and the Lord really planted him in that area and just began to draw people from um, South Chattanooga to the Mount Canaan Baptist Church. And so my father grew that church. Uh, I accepted Jesus as my personal savior one night in a revival in oh, that wow. pot-belly-stoved church. I was six years old and really had a tremendous encounter uh, oh. with God that has shaped my life uh, and my commitment to Christ the rest of my life. And so we later moved over to the East Chattanooga area when the interstate came down, built a brand new church that burned to the ground oh. in 19, uh, I guess it was around 79. And at that time, I had just probably returned from college, was engaged in the church my father was pastoring. Now, people need to hear what school you went to, because that's important. It's an awesome <laughs> school. Well, locally, I uh, was a student at Brainerd High School. Okay. Uh, when I graduated from Brainerd High School in 19... I'm about to tell my age. Back in 19... Mm, okay. I went away to the University of Tennessee in... Uh, 
in Knoxville. Amen. There we go. There you go. There we That's go. what we got in common. We That's do what have that. knits us I actually together. saw on Facebook we're both Braves fans, too. Oh, no question, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of given here. Yeah, though. the Braves and the Vols is my relaxation from the stress and strain of ministry. Mm. And and just going back a tiny bit in your story, um, you said you know you had a rich encounter or something like that with the Lord even at age six. Just knowing you and how you do ministry, it is it is clear that you are always you know maybe not um, you know there's some people that are always like trying to make something sensational, mm. and those people are I. I'll just try to say, like, I, I don't appreciate that much. Mm-hmm. But people that are always um, biding their time and waiting to make sure that people have those encounters and callings of the Lord, like, you know, you uh, Samuel has, where, you know, he had not yet been called by the Lord. You're, I can tell in your ministry that you aim for that uh, with people in general. And I, and I love that about you. Well, I, I try to touch people. I believe if you're not touching people, you're not doing ministry. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes through our theology, through our positions and our titles, we alienate people. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has never been my desire. Uh, I never wanted to be in ministry. I never wanted to be a preacher. Um, mm. It's really, my story started before I was born. My mother and father were strong Christians, and uh, when they got married, they uh, weren't able to have kids. And mm. so my dad, who was engaged in uh, ministry, he was a great singer and a deacon, and he promised the Lord that if, they gave, if he gave him a child, they would dedicate him back to him. So when I was born, I was dedicated back to God. And they always told me that story, Mm. which was really challenging growing up, especially when you make a commitment at six and you're the kind of guy that wants to relate to everybody. But God has just always um, gave me something that even the kids in school who I wanted to hang out with and run around with they always respected me and things that I tried to do with them, they go, oh, you're not supposed to do this. So that's kind of how my uh, life has gone. I've always been in love with Jesus. I've always tried to not make him a mystical character, Mm. uh, but someone that is reflected in us. And so I believe that our lives are the only book that some people will ever read when it comes to Scripture and Bible. And I believe we as the church need to understand that we may be the only church people see <laughs> until we can get them in a relationship with God to bring them into the house. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's clear that, you know, Let's let's go back into the into the church uh, ministry as well, and and how it's grown because you you are clearly a guy who is all about evangelism. Uh, you do not just uh, you you are no sitting in an ivory tower pastor. You're I, sometimes I think you must be outside of the walls of your church. Must be outside of the walls of your church far more than you're inside the walls of your church. Can you just describe some of that and how did that had to have something to do with the history of how you grew up and your parents and what Mount Canaan's always been? Can you just 
get into that a little bit before we go on to other questions? Yeah, Adam, you're probably going to get me in a lot of trouble, but I just have to be honest. I, I never believed the church hung out in the walls. Yeah. Um, I, I, I teach the people at Mount Canaan, and it was really, um, really strange when I first came back to pastor them after my father retired, because by that time I had had a thriving ministry in Fort Wayne in the streets. I pastored a church that was in the heart of the city that had a horrible reputation, had had 16 pastors in seven years, and the Lord oh. landed me there in uh, the late, uh, the early 90s um, with 25 members, big building, uh, and a horrible reputation. And there was something that was happening on the outside of me, uh, outside of the walls, and that when kids were dying in the street, the crack epidemic was there. And so I just decided that I would just leave the same 25 people who had ran off the last seven pastors, let them have the building, <laughs> and I'd get out there in the street and work with these kids and show them something different, at least try to reflect Christ. Uh, and uh, our church ultimately grew um, through a lot of pain. I buried 105 kids uh, wow. in that 15-year period. But by the time all I— All of them were kids. Uh, yeah, young young adults, okay. um, 14 to that, that's a kid. 27, 28. Um, well before— Anyone would say that's your time to go. Yeah, sure. but but the interesting thing about church growth is that uh, there were many churches, and this is what has always bothered me about the church, is that we're supposed to uh, help sinners, but we don't know any. <laughs> and we don't invite them to our house, mm. okay? Mm. Um, we hang out with each other. But um, for me... There were many churches around me that said, and it, and it bothered me, that there were many pastors that when these kids would die in the street, you know, we can't bring them in here. They didn't come here when they were alive. And that bothered me. Yeah. I felt like that was the time that their family and their siblings needed you. And so I would always go to the home when uh, there had been tragedy, let that uh, family know that who I was and that we were there to help them. And they would come to our church for the funeral, and um, we would help them through that grief process, and we would gain 15 to 20 members of their families. You grew the church through funerals. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. that is one of the toughest ways to evangelize, and I take no credit for that. Sure. But what I, will, what I have learned is, is that you need to minister uh, in the vineyard where God places you. Um, most of us cannot minister where God places us because we're kicking and streaming, trying to get out, looking for the next promotion. And if we have not cultivated the field that we're in, uh, you don't get promotions for doing nothing. Right. <laughs> God elevates you because you've been faithful where he has planted you. And um, 
many of us believe it's our status, our preaching ability, or our ability to um, influence people. It's not about that. It's about being faithful where God plants you. Amen. So, uh, first of all, I hope everyone heard uh, Ternay's absolutely bizarre uh, church growth <laughs> strategy. No, it's not bizarre, actually. I mean, there really are... Um, I think we we miss the opportunity in funerals a, yeah. a lot. That that's that's a moment when people are recognizing yeah. death is real. We're not none of us are getting out of here alive. Yeah. Um, and okay, so uh, you're just you're provoking lots of questions. So <laughs> so you're having you have a great ministry. This church has grown, and you're you're sitting pretty and happy to be there, and finally see like this tough road to hoe is bearing some fruit and you're like ready to stay there for life maybe. And then you're called back to Chattanooga. Can you speak to that transition a little bit? Yeah. One of the most personally and emotional devastating things, one of them that I've experienced um, in a 15 year period, God had grown our ministry from 25 to 2,500. Oh. And uh, the church was known in the community as someone who, a church that was outside the walls that met people and families where they were. Uh, we were doing some phenomenal things. Oh, God was doing some phenomenal things like Stop the Madness, which was another program that was created. And I know, say, a program in church. Uh, creates a problem for some people because there are many churches that have the resources that they need to run their own youth programs, their own junior high school, their own senior high school, uh, pastors and that kind of thing. That doesn't happen in um, communities where resources are not readily available. And so because we were a church that was dealing with uh, people who were at a disadvantage, uh, God had blessed me through my education uh, at the University of Tennessee and understanding uh, being a business uh, major on how to organize a nonprofit that could garner people who were really concerned about the things that were happening in a community, that they could support it. And so we create, uh, uh, the Lord gave us the vision of Stop the Madness. Back then we were saying, just say no to drugs. And um, people were saying, uh, yeah, that's all kids need to do. These neighborhoods just need to say no to crack. Um, the problem was in our community, we didn't need to say no. We needed something to say yes to. Mm. The families that are struggling and the people that need the church and need Christ the most, they just can't say no to their environment, to their survival. It becomes a way of life, and it becomes the church's role to show them a different way of life and a, a different standard, which is definitely through the Scripture. And so we created Stop the Madness. Uh, the Lord blessed it. It became a national program. As a matter of fact, we even brought it back to Chattanooga 15 years. But uh, to get back to your original statement, uh, yes, uh, I, th- th- my father retired 
After 40 years, I asked him, Dad, retire. I want you to enjoy some of your life. Uh, Moses didn't even do more than 40 years with the children of Israel. And, um, and, and, and Dad retired. And uh, things were going so well in Fort Wayne. Um, this church tried to get me to come back, but God was a blessing. And uh, they looked for a pastor for about a year and a half. And um, a few years in, my dad developed Alzheimer's. And uh, I let him come up to preach for me because my sister was telling me things were happening with dad. But when I would see dad for the weekend, he looked normal. And I invited him up for my 15th year celebration. We were, we were in a great place. The church was at its apex. We had experienced the first 15 years of peace and growth that that church had experienced in the last 30 years. And I put my father up to pastor, and right there in the pulpit, I saw the dementia on him. And while I was in a place of my greatest celebration, my heart was broken because oh. this man who had been my everything, my example, my mentor, I'm watching him who had been a great servant of God and a great deliverer of his word, they're struggling. And I made up my mind right then and there while I'm standing in the middle of the floor watching him, I got to go home and take care of my family. And so wow. we made that decision within a 30-day period, broke my heart, the city of Fort Wayne's heart, uh, to come back, to leave 2,500, to come back to 200, but to walk in the footprints. But I had an argument with God before that. The first thing I told God, God, I know you're not asking me to do this. Look at what you and I have done here in Fort Wayne. And he quietly reminded me, Trinae, you had absolutely nothing to do with this. <laughs> it was me that did this. And the second thing I said, but Lord, the vision that you've given me and the things that we're doing in this community... I may not have the people nor the resources. And he said to me, just like I sent you the people and the resources here, when I'm ready, I can send it to you there. And so it was with those two promises that I left uh, my world of 15 years, a church that had grown from 25, 25, following the call of God. That's kind of the way I went to Fort Wayne. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know who they were. I didn't even know the way. I, it was a, it was a definitely an Abraham story mm. that you, you go and I'll show you <laughs> where you're going as you go. And my journey back here was similar, but it was quick. And it, I, as I said, that broke a lot of people off. It was about 30 people who left Fort Wayne and came back here with me. God was blessing wow. tremendously. So um, that's why I, I, I'm excited about who God is. And you can get discouraged if you look around what's happening with you. And many pastors are discouraged. It's simply because we're taking our eyes off of him. It is him that we must keep our eyes on. He has divinely created us and our journey if we mm. stop fighting him and mm. walk where he plants us 
and follow his lead. I love that. He's divinely created us yeah. and our journey. Uh, any any Presbyterian could get behind that line, by the way, <laughs> Trinity. Um, so uh, I, ju- I just want to comment before I move on with another question. You know, you're talking about we, you, we had to stop just saying, um, well, we couldn't just say say no to something. Yeah. You also had to say yes to something. But I'm like, that's that's just great repentance 101. You, you can't possibly just... Anytime you're saying no to something, it should be yes to something else with God. Yeah. Uh, so I mean that you were just putting that into place uh, on, in a, at a community level, making sure that was happening. Yeah, uh, but again, that's why I believe the church is struggling because we keep separating the two. I would agree <laughs> okay. that that's a huge problem. My 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 philosophy, and you asked this question earlier, and the people of Mount Canaan who God has tremendously blessed in the last 15 years, they will tell you, I walked in the door and I said to them, we do nothing, absolutely nothing for people in this church. Man, did that get a reaction. But I knew what I was saying. We're not here for the people who are saved and who are comfortable. We come in here to energize ourselves so we can go out there. I believe that the church's role is to infect or affect whatever it touches. And if you're in a community and you have not affected that community with the love of Jesus Christ, then I'm not sure what you're doing. But if they don't have the love of Jesus Christ, you ought to be out there infecting them hmm. with the love of Jesus Christ. So you ought to affect a community or infect it or sometimes both. And when you do that, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we can't show the world how much we care as long as we're inside the wall singing Kumbaya. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, so that might lead well into my next question, which is, you know, everybody's got a particular calling. You know, someone might be called to business. Someone might be called to love the Lord in the church. Someone might be called to love the Lord uh, staying at home. Uh, What do you think, um, as far as a whole community is concerned, what's Mount Canaan's role in the Chattanooga community? What's its its calling as a church to Chattanooga? I, I believe its role is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Uh, I believe, as I said earlier, I told the people that we don't do anything in this building. What, what I believe is the role of the church is like a filling station. You know, you perhaps fill your gas tank up every Friday. It's been tough the last couple of weeks. But yeah. <laughs> uh, you fill your tank up probably on Friday. And you really don't fill your tank up to go pull it into the garage to let it set there for the next month. You go and fill up so that next week, starting Monday, you can go about your business, your job, to run out of gas. So that when Friday comes again, you can pull in at the filling station, mm-hmm. put it in your garage, and get ready for next week. It I doesn't be- even make sense to go back to the filling station yeah. if you haven't emptied yeah. it. Yeah. And so that's what I believe the church's real role is. 
I believe our role is not to come in and just fellowship with one another. I think we should worship God, but I don't think you have to worship God only in the building. But I think that Sunday morning we are, or Sundays when we come in to worship, that's like pulling into the filling station. You're worshiping God. You're thanking him. You're being renewed. You're being refreshed so that you can leave there. And that you can go back to your job on Monday morning, on, on Tuesday, the person who's sitting in the cubicle next to you, or the person that you see on the street that is hurting. You ought to run out of gas showing them the love of Jesus Christ. You ought to work it. Mm. You ought to work it. And by Friday, you ought to be empty enough to can't wait to get back to the filling station on Sunday so we can worship and praise God so that we can do it all over again. And again, God did not save us to sit. He did not save us to congregate. He saved us to make disciples. And we don't make disciples with our preaching if our Preaching does not match our lifestyle. It makes it null and void to those that we're trying to reach. It makes a mockery of it all. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, I, you know, I, I think I've put that in different ways, um, or I've thought about that in different ways. You know, I think about Jesus in the. Uh, he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. comes down to the valley, yeah. or he goes um, into the garden of gethsemane to pray and then he goes to yeah. the cross there should be some kind of um momentum gaining action that's going on in your life where you're going back and forth between those two so okay, may, may i just jump in there because i think you jump made in. a good point i i know i don't i rarely recall where jesus went to the church or to the temple and invited people to come <laughs> yeah it usually was that he went down by the seashore mm -hmm. or he went by the mountain. He would stop by the synagogue at times, but he met people where they were. And I think sometimes we miss that. I mean, the woman uh, that was caught in adultery, he met her there. The woman that uh, was at the well, he met her there. The, the ten leopards, he wasn't sitting at the church and said, hey, you guys come over here. And <laughs> he, he met them where they are. And, and so, afterwards, he often sent yeah. people to. Well, I mean, once, once, once you have an encounter, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you have to grow. Yeah. Uh, and I see the church or the building as we know it, or what we call the church. That's our role. But you, you can't open the door and say, "Hey, leper, come on in," or "Hey, drug addict." come on in or help woman with an issue of blood or woman uh, caught in adultery come you got to meet them where they are great stuff Trinae. i i agree and it's it's a good word for all of us to hear and be reminded of uh we're going to take a quick break and be right back after that with more from Trinae jordan are you wanting to deepen your prayer life and grow in intimacy with god Rhythms Chattanooga is the spiritual formation ministry of the Chattanooga House of Prayer. We seek the well-being of our city by encouraging a life-giving relationship with God through cultivating healthy spiritual practices or rhythms. 
We would love to create a custom retreat for your business, nonprofit, or ministry team, or you can take advantage of the many guided retreats and trainings we offer throughout the year. Explore all of these and other opportunities at chathop.org. Well, welcome back to a beautiful church podcast. Again, here with Ternay Jordan from Mount Canaan Baptist Church. Ternay, I just realized I was about to jump into other questions, but let's just name where your church is now and just give the website and the service times, just because I usually do that at first. Yeah, um, uh, we're located at Highway 58, uh, 4801 Highway 58. It's the former Kmart building. Uh, we bought that building because we wanted a marketplace church. Oh. Uh, and so God has been faithful. We have Plus you needed some room. You're yeah, a big church. Oh, yeah, we, we needed plenty of space. Yeah. Uh, but God has been faithful, and we continue to try to figure out what the needs of the community are and uh, provide that to the community or the families that surround us. Um, our website is uh, Mount. Can- mountcanon.org that's m-t-c-a-n-a-a-n.org m-t which is pretty impressive that you have the mountcanon.org yeah um, I, there are not a whole lot of Mount Canaans in the world oh I, there's got to be a couple well, I, they're there, the but, country but God has just been faithful to us yeah. there you um, go I'll just <laughs> you were early on <laughs> yeah. in the, in the uh, world of getting the websites uh, and when are your service times, Ternay? Our service time is 10 o'clock. Um, as you know, uh, we haven't even gone back um, from the pandemic. We're planning, making plans to re-enter on the second Sunday in June. Um, and that'll be at 10 o'clock. We're going back with a limited number that we're asking people to register. And... Um, uh, it's our church's 80th anniversary, wow. and so we're excited about that to have our first worship service. But I tell you what, God has blessed us tremendously through the pandemic. Our viewership and our um, uh, God has just been faithful. He, we haven't missed a beat, That's which to me just reiterates what I'm saying. The church is not a building. When people would say to me, the church is closed, I go, nah. You guys were, I'll say this, <laughs> from the beginning of the pandemic through now, you were ready to serve because you were already mobilized for it. You were already doing it. Man, listen, you know, we've had some tough times over the last year. Uh, my prayers go out to every person, but every pastor who has tried to lead. Seminary didn't teach you how to do this. Uh, your your uh, experience didn't teach you how to maneuver through this. God has been faithful, but my, my prayers go out to those guys. But again, when the pandemic came in, uh, we were also seeing the early stages of social unrest uh, with the death of uh, George Floyd. And there were people protesting around the world. And um, we went into prayer mode. Mm. We locked arms with you and mm. a couple of pastors around the city. 
to just have a prayer meeting for what was going on in the country. And we met there on the parking lot yep. of Mount Canaan. And I think we pulled that together in about four days. And so, Which was insane. Yes, it was. But amazing. And, and we really expected, if the Lord would give us 100 people yep. that night, yep. that that would have been the beginning of something great. There were between 1,500 to 2,000 people yep. on that parking lot that day. Yep. And uh, so I think that that spoke well for the church. It encouraged everyone. Yeah, that I, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we also, um, in our community, in most vulnerable communities, there was no testing going on. And uh, we, we wanted to be a great city, so we put uh, the, vac- uh, the testing and the vaccine on the river. So people who don't have cars and automobiles could easily access it. And you got food out to a lot of people, yeah, too. Yeah, but, but you're missing my point. Why would you put vaccines on the river for communities that don't even have a way to get downtown or to the grocery right. store? Right. And they're the most vulnerable community. Right. So the church, <laughs> whose role is to meet people where they are, we began to challenge those who were responsible for getting testing and vaccines to the places where the churches, where the people are. And so we were able to get 13 churches throughout our community to do COVID testing while we were doing funerals because the people that needed the most were the ones that were dying. And then the same thing happened with vaccinations. We want to get it where we get it in the same places that are away from the people who were being affected the most. And so we did that. Mm. So the last few years, a year, we haven't really had time to sit down and rest. We've been praying because mm. we did the one together, you and I and a lot of the pastors in October. Yeah. Uh, we've been feeding families twice a week. Uh, we have another location, our old church that we left over on Chamberlain Avenue. We've um, re- replanted it with my youngest son, Jamichael, who is the pastor of the Village Church. So we're doing the same things in one of the most challenging communities, 37406, that we're doing at Highway 58. And God has been getting the glory and a lot of families are being blessed. Yeah, this is it's kind of a, a similar story to what you were doing in Fort Wayne yeah. of here's these disastrous, yeah. terrible, really rough stuff happening yeah. and the church grew out of that yeah. difficulty. Yeah. The same thing of you're saying while lots of churches are having a hard time and I, and I, I want to be careful because there's a ver- variety of reasons why sure, that happens sure, sure. and I don't want any pastor listening to say I'm I'm blaming them yeah. but um, one thing that seems to be clear of what's happening in your church is it's ha- experienced uh, some some blessing and not missing a beat, maybe even a little growth in the midst of a uh, of a time where uh, you've been working to bless the community when they said yeah. we need some help. Yeah. So the same principle applied, just yeah. with a different scenario. Yeah. We, and and it, it was because we never shut the church down. Right. <laughs> the church was already working. Yeah. We just locked the doors so people couldn't come in and, <laughs> and could contract uh, the virus. Right. And so when people say the church doors open, the church, I mean, close, the church doors are never closed. 
Hmm. The building may be locked down, but we're the church, and we ought to be impacting people with the good news and the love of Jesus Christ wherever we are. Amen. Um, so many different uh, directions I could go. Um, so, you know, I want to just switch a little bit here. You know, for most pastors, and I've already had several pastors in to sort of answer about Southern Baptist because you're in a Southern Baptist church. Um, but you, you are one of the longest, um, long, longest time members of this, uh, community. I know you left for a brief period of time, uh, to go to that excellent school in Knoxville and you were in Fort Wayne. Uh, but can you just, just because I think people need to hear someone from the African American community in Chattanooga sort of speaking to different traditions, you know, every, every tradition has its strength and value that it brings to the overall body of Christ. What do you think the African American church tradition brings to the whole body of Christ? Yeah. Black, white, Hispanic, even the Catholics or whatever. What do, you, what do you guys say? This is this is what we bring. Yeah. Adam, you've hit my sweet spot. And I almost got to tell my story do it. On, do it. On, on how this happened. First of all, I don't believe in the black church or the white church. Okay. Okay. I believe in the church. Yeah. Black folk didn't create the black church. <laughs> if they were going to go to church, they were forced to go to some place other than the church. <laughs> and Southern Baptist has strong roots in being a part of that. Right. Very early on, I never would have been a part of the Southern Baptist because I know their history. I know their history. Um, the, the one thing I didn't tell you about this great school that we went to, mm. <laughs> this uh, I, ma- I majored in business education, but I'm minored in religious studies, specifically black religious studies. I did not know that. Yes. And I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was religious, and I figured felt like I could probably pass it in flying colors since I had been reading the scriptures since I was six mm. years old. But when I got in that, I found out that it was not um, on scripture. It was the role of the black church in America. And what people do not understand is that the role of the black church was not to say we're going to create a church. We couldn't worship with anybody. Uh, You know, there were people that wouldn't. And so we had to create a place of worship. And it wasn't just for worship. It was for everything. You couldn't go to school. Right. So if you were going to go to school, you had to do it in the black church building. My dad uh, went to school in a church building with students from the first to the 12th grade. Hmm. That was how our society and the oppression that we really don't want to talk about these days, that's how that happened. What we're dealing with came out of a vacuum. So you talk about schooling, we couldn't go to U- University of Tennessee, so we went to the HBOs, historically black colleges that started in churches. I didn't realize that you're like for like grade school that people were also that that was they were meeting in churches. 
Oh, did yeah. Did that happen a lot? That's if you were going to be educated... It happened at the we, church, too. We didn't want you reading, <laughs> less long getting education. So when it became obvious that there were people of color who wanted to teach kids, they had to do it in the church buildings. The church, the church is the only institution that people of color in this country, black people, I should say, people who didn't voluntarily come here. It is the only institution that we ever had. And so everything, you couldn't go to the park to play baseball. So after church, you played baseball on the church grounds. You couldn't go to a restaurant, so you spread picnics on the church ground. And we're not talking about that long ago. And that's the thing that people don't understand. It wasn't that long ago. Right. I remember this as a kid myself. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, and this is how church became so important in the African American community. Everything. Because everything was there. Everything, no. Everything came out of the black church when it was for African Americans in this country. Yeah. Okay? Um, it is no accident that even the people we know are the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King or the Reverend Andrew Young. You can go down the list. It was only men of God who preached to the people that could allow us to have school, could allow us to have any, any other thing. You know why? Because they were the only one that could do it freely because the people would feed them. If someone who worked on a plantation or on a farm, tented farming, we don't call it slavery. We gave it other names, Jim Crow. We don't call it slavery. We just give it another name. But if you were trying to educate or do something and you lived on somebody else's land and they didn't want you to do it, they put you off the land. But the black preacher was the one that could declare the word of God and try to make the comparison between the freedom and the emancipation of the Israelites who were in slavery for 400 years. Oh, that's almost like African-Americans in this country. 400 years. We were able to make the comparison to give people hope to give people strength. And so it has always been the church, the black church, everything. And that's why we struggle when you start talking about the church being social. What do you mean? It was everything. <laughs> we were forced, if there was anything social to be involved with the gospel, it happened together there. And so how can you divide it? And then I struggle with how we try to divide it because I think that every miracle Jesus did was kind of social. <laughs> that's very fair, yeah. No, that's, um, you know, I, what I'm, I don't even have words to put it in, in description. Just, just the thought of like, one of the things that I really would say that I want to have happen in this town um, is... You know, this is part of the reason why I have this podcast is because I get to, I, you know, walking around all these different denominations and circles, I get to have some fascinating conversations sure. with people. Uh, but one of the conversations that's been really helpful to me has just been like, 
it, it really is like a totally different culture mindset. And it's not just like a culture that's like, oh, this is just something that you found out about when you were like 15 and you got into that. You know, like yeah. somebody says like, oh, I, I don't know, I got into uh, bow hunting when I was 15 yeah, and yeah. man, I'm all into that now and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, well, yeah, but it wasn't like something that you were doing from the from the time you before you have any memories whatsoever that you were doing and that your parents were doing and that your grandparents were doing and that your great-grandparents were doing. It's just so ingrained in a totally um, a culture that developed in uh, that's different from white culture yeah. uh, that and white church culture yeah. that that can't just be if you especially if you hear it in the news media, yeah. Uh, you're not going to get to a place of like, oh, I know where you're coming from, yeah. you know. And I, how, how many conversations and how many hours of conversations have we had? And, and I just got a new one right yeah. here, just in yeah. this podcast. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. Like, sure. you don't, you don't even know what I don't. I mean, you know a lot of the things I don't know, but yeah. you don't even know to the degree to which I don't know your where you come from. Which is why the church is in trouble, <laughs> because we yeah. don't want to know. We mm. don't really want to know. We don't want to accept another person's story mm. you, you understand i'm human just like you mm-hmm. even our constitution says that we'll equal mm-hmm. <laughs> but really we're not not our history not our church you asked me a question earlier about Southern Baptists, and I probably went off the ledge, but let me get back on. There's a reason why I joined the Southern Baptists. A lot of black folk have asked me, why would you join the Southern Baptists? And you know the history. Um, I, I joined the Southern I'm not just a Southern Baptist. I'm duly aligned. That's the good thing about you have dual citizenship in the yes, world of Baptists. Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm still a part of um, uh, the, uh, the the African American Convention USA that was created when you couldn't be a Southern Baptist. <laughs> so, I I walked the line. I walked the line. I believe that if Christians would walk the plumb line, we wouldn't get distorted by words that are not in scripture like conservative and liberal like convention or presbyterian and southern baptist i think that's what's messing us up Uh, the word of god is the word of god and it becomes the plumb line to measure no matter who we are and how we interact with people so i joined the southern baptist when they repented and said that they wanted to work together that is Ternay's spirit. Mm. That is why I went to the University of Tennessee. There wasn't many African Americans there when I went there. Mm. But I just have always believed, since I was six years old, that the blood of Jesus brings us together. And I've always had the heart of wanting to be a part of it. So after knowing the history, <laughs> I joined because there were a group of people who said, we want to uh, repent. Um, We use the word reconcile. I don't really believe in that word other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one we can reconcile with because races can't because we've never been together. If you're going to reconcile, that means you were once in relationship and then (laughs) you're coming back together. But in America, Mm. The church has never been together. 
Okay, it has never been together. It needs to be consiled. We need to be consiled, but it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ yes. that we can rec- be reconciled through him to understand that we're all one blood. You're my brother. Mm-hmm. You're my brother. Adam and Eve were not created black Adam. <laughs> I like that, Adam. And white Adam. <laughs> Eve was not a black woman and a white woman. Right. They were created by God. His breath was breathed in them. And it was out of them that all of us were created. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't want to buy that, you still got problems with it. God says, okay, in the sixth chapter, I'll just kill them all. I'll just clean the earth. We'll redo it. Mm. And he redid it with Noah. And we still was on the same boat together. As family. So how we as the church who preach this gospel, who really want to understand what the scripture says, can get out and us get caught up in whether you're liberal or conservative, whether you're black or white, or whether, you know, all the other divisive terms that Satan uses to Mm -hmm. divide us. Uh, And we, we go on it. And now... The church ain't looking too good. I know ain't ain't a word, but it best describes my point. We're not looking too good to the world. And somehow we got to be reconciled through Christ. Because when I'm truly reconciled with Christ, you and I will be consiled because we're in Christ. And today... As weird as most people think I am sometimes, I believe in walking the line. You are not a white guy. You're my brother. It's a, I, 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 what, where I've gotten to is I, I do not, especially as I look at the world and the solutions that people are coming up with, I don't have hope for, uh, for conciliation, um, without uh the church and without looking to jesus i just i just yeah. i'm like yeah. in fact man i'll even say if jesus hadn't prayed for it yeah. i probably would have given up yeah. you know but i'm like he didn't pray for something for it to just not ever happen uh so it's got to be there in him i'm like you i i don't have any hope <laughs> other than but my hope is in jesus yes yes and it is not in the southern baptist it is not in mount canaan I love the Chattanooga House of Prayer. I love what we do. I think if we did more of it, then we would have more hope in Jesus. <laughs> but but our hope should not be in our denominations or in our cultures or in anything other than Jesus. And that is the one thing that all people who call themselves children of God, Christians, that we ought to be able to agree on. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think he's left us. So if he hasn't left us, I wonder how we got lost. Well, the, the old thing that I try to keep hope with is uh, the, you know, if, if Jesus is still in the boat then it can't sink, even if it looks like it's stormy. So, 
Well, Ternay, I I'm actually uh, running us close to the edge of our time here. Can I switch gears on you and just, um, you know, I, I just this is the question that I, has become my favorite question that I ask every pastor. But if you if you could exhort the believers, just the believers, yeah. you had the audience, just pretend we have an audience of I don't know however many hundred thousand believers that are in Chattanooga. Uh, what is the one thing that you would exhort them to in this season? Adam, you know, if I start thinking about the different facets of even just the things we have talked about, I could go on forever. But to simplify my response, it would be to repent. <laughs> repent. You need to repent. I need to repent. Our denominations need to repent. Mm. Our churches need to repent. Our pastors need to repent. Mm. But those of us who are sitting in the congregation, we need to repent. After all, that's the only way you can have salvation. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not that difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it's so... As, I, I'm often reminded what Paul said. It is the simplicity of the gospel. We complicate it. Repent from your thoughts, your upbringing, your teachings, the things that have shaped your attitude, your opinions, and your thoughts. Learn to love each other and look each other in the eye like you and I. Let me be me. Don't try to conform me to be a uh, white American, <laughs> let me be black. I, I like it, <laughs> okay? I'm comfortable with it, but I'm comfortable with not my outer shell. I'm comfortable with who lives in me. Right. And if you're comfortable with what lives in you, it doesn't matter what the shade of our skin or what our denomination is. We're one, Mm. Where one, Acts 17 says, from one man and one woman, mm. we are one blood. Let's stop complicating it. Let's repent and let's trust in our hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. That's a good word, Trinae. Um, God help us uh, to have grace to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, well, that is all the time we have for today. Ternay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being in and sharing honestly. Uh, always enjoy our conversations. Looking forward to the next one. And we just want to say thank you to all of you who are listening to A Beautiful Church Podcast. We'll be back with you next time. Thanks for joining us. The Chattanooga House of Prayer is a nonprofit ministry based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we are seeking the transformation of our city through unified prayer, worship, and action. I want to give a special thank you to those of you who give generously to this ministry. We have just learned over the years that many hands make light work, and it is because of you that we can continue this important mission. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit chathop.org. That's C-H-A-T-T-H-O-P.org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on your social media, and tag us at Chattanooga House of Prayer. Thanks again for listening.